I am uh, I'm humbled and excited and nervous to get the opportunity to stand in front of y'all, small little group, uh, to preach to preach again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jesse Taylor. I am the intern here at Redeemer, so I'm running around doing all sorts of things. I'm also the uh, Midtown Community Group leader. I hope you all are enjoying this beautiful weather, and uh, hopefully this next week you get a chance to enjoy some of the spring break. Um, Late January through early spring has always seemed kind of like a weird time to me. Here in Indiana, the weather is almost always a nightmare. (laughs) We'll have like 50 degree days in December and January, thinking we've escaped the polar vortex, but only to wake up to a snowstorm on March 1st and have to cancel church. These weather fluctuations invite a personal dilemma to myself. Do I drink hot coffee or iced? I can't ever choose. All the holiday season festivities are are long gone and also many years in my lifetime and probably including this year. The Hoosiers aren't playing great basketball. We'll find out today, I guess, if they made it into the tournament. We do have good things, though. Baseball season's on the way, if you care about that. Easter's coming. So that's good. Um, and appropriate weather for being outside all the time is also on its way. But overall, I think things can seem a little just kind of blah. And I think that can be true spiritually as well. We're over the fall season of getting all the students back and the holiday high of Christmas time. It's always really easy to fall into just an apathetic mindset, just punching the clock, getting through the week, going to class, doing homework going to work, doing what you have to get done, going to church every Sunday, and maybe if I feel like it, I'll go to CG. We've been learning in Philippians that to know Christ is far greater than anything else in the universe. We are constantly preaching and teaching on Sundays and throughout the week about the grace of God in Christ, but we still lose sight. We forget about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We understand it in our head, but we lose track as that goes to our heart. Today, as we move on in Philippians, we're going to learn how we are saved in Christ to pursue after him. We are saved from having to walk through life in apathy, just kind of going through the motions. We're saved to be able to be moved towards our Savior, to pray to him, to learn about him, worship him, glorify him in all we do. So if you'll stand with me as we read from God's word. We'll be carrying on in Philippians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. That's on page 841 of those gray Bibles that are kind of strewn about in the rows. If you're new today and you don't have a Bible, or if you just don't have one, you can take that. That's our gift to you. So if you'll read with me. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, I thank you for this beautiful morning and uh, just the season of springtime. I thank you for the, uh, the few that are here, that, um, that you brought us all here together that we can learn, so we can learn about you. I pray for our brothers and sisters in Brazil. Keep them safe. Encourage them as they're down there. Help them to encourage the, uh, the Brazilians who they're hanging out with. And I just ask today that as we work through this chapter in Philippians that we learn more about you, how to pursue you because of the way you pursued us. I ask that you speak through me. Please help me not to focus so much on on myself, but just to know and rest in the fact that you're the one who changes hearts. And we thank you for that, and we glorify you for that. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a lot in that passage, but I want to zero in today on the fact that we get to and we ought to pursue Christ. My first point is going to be I want to show we can only pursue Jesus because of what he's done for us. The second point, in our pursuit of Christ, we have to be serious about community. And then we'll end with remembering that we must pursue Christ in light of eternity. So point number one, we pursue Christ because he first pursued us. And what I, what I mean by pursuit is a striving after God to know him, to glorify him in all we do, and, let, and understand that the power of the Holy Spirit sanctifies us through that. So a few verses earlier in chapter 3, Paul's talking about how he will do anything to know Christ and attain the resurrection from the dead or his salvation. The passage starts off with Paul exclaiming that he has not obtained perfection yet, but he is pressing on to make it his own. It's really easy at this point to fall into the trap of believing that we work for our salvation to be accomplished. Let's look again at verse 12 through 15. It says, Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead... I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So there's language suggesting that Paul is working and doing things to gain his resurrection, his salvation. We are wired in such a way that we want to fixate on these things. We want to be able to make things right. We want to think that the good things we do in this life will achieve our right standing with God. True grace to humans is a foreign concept. Paul in this passage wants to get the point across that we can only pursue Christ because of what he's done for us. Verse 12 says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It carries on in verse 2. Verse 13 with brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So we see that Paul is not simply saying we must strain, t- strain toward the goal to be right with Jesus. When we are far off, God had his eyes set on us. We all are broken. 
We can't achieve our salvation. Jesus has done that. He lived in perfection, took our sins upon the cross. Then as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, he rose again and has promised to come back and make all things new. He pursues us and saves us. But now we're in this in-between time where we're saved, but we're still here struggling with sin and brokenness, so what do we do? Paul says, train forward to what lies ahead. Train forward to when we will be with Christ forever. We press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We press on because the Holy Spirit is working in us to sanctify us as we grow and pursue. What Christ did on the cross should compel us, push us and make us want to, to get up and live our lives in everything for God's glory. We are saved to our pursuit of God, to pursue Jesus in everything. To commune with him, fill our thoughts and times with learning about him, to think more about what he wants us to do with our time on this earth, not what we want to do. Think of a teacher you may have had, or still have, that was just a fantastic teacher. Maybe a friend, or a role model, or a boss potentially at work. This person was just a great leader and helped you really, really grow. They did some incredible things for you. And, and, and they helped you in ways you probably could never repay. At some level, I'm sure you found yourself wanting to be more like that person, wanting to please them by showing them that you're thankful. Now think of how weak of an example that person is in comparison to the creator of the universe. Jesus, the Lord of all things, died to save us to himself. How could we not want to know more about him? How could we not want to pursue him? He has made a way for us to live in eternity in his glory. To be full of joy in him. Is there anything better than to be forever in Christ's glory and full of joy in him? If anyone can think of something that's better than eternity or more full than infinitely full in joy with the God of the universe, then please show me. There isn't anything better. So we pursue Christ. We want more of him. Paul says that those of us who are mature, we think like this. He ends the section with verse 16, tying it always back to the gospel. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's reminding us again that we must hold true to the fact that if we are with Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then we can rest assured we're saved. He wants us to always remember that when we are saved, we are justified in the sight of God. We are not saved by this pursuit. But why would we not want to pursue him? We're saved to be able to pursue him. So we see that because of what Jesus has done, we have the opportunity to strive after him, to hunger to be more like him, to want more of our Savior, to worship and pray and learn and glorify him. But that can be hard. Practically, we cannot be in pursuit of Christ on our own. We must have a community around us that pushes us constantly back into Christ and challenges us when we come to the ever-present stages of apathy in this pursuit. So point number two, we need community to pursue Christ. Paul understands this. After he's done writing about holding true to the good news of Jesus and letting that push us to pursuit of him, he says in verse 17, Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
Skeptics right at this point are going to say that Paul is being manipulative. He's saying, imitate me, be like me to boost his own ego or maybe expand his platform. I would argue that this is not what he's saying at all. He's saying, imitate those who pursue Christ and imitate those who help you know and savor Jesus. Not those who want you to give them glory or want you to copy everything they do. And just as a quick aside, why would anybody want to imitate Paul? We've mentioned constantly that Paul is writing this letter from prison. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Let alone the count, go through the countless trials and tribulations that he went through. Or maybe it's a sneaky way for me to say, act like leaders in this church. I assure you that leaders who are truly living for Christ and seeking after him are not going to try to take advantage of you or manipulate you. Leaders and preachers exist for you, the local bodies of believers, not the other way around. I don't want you to imitate leaders here just to be like them. Imitate them if they push you to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you must be around people that are walking deeply with Jesus. We all need that. It's foolish to go at it alone. We live in a culture that is going to keep pounding in your head that you just need to do you. Do you, man. Make choices for yourself. Think through things for yourself. Come to a conclusion that seems right to you. Think about what you want in your career, in your life, and then it's all good. Paul says, silly. That's silly. You have to walk with the community, with people who set an example of striving after Christ. People who push you to Jesus and not back to yourself or themselves. People who call you out when you're off track. People who do this all under the authority of Scripture and not just their own opinions and arguments. We've mentioned recently here about our blind spots. These are spots we can't see because they're blind. (laughs) We need people to pour into us so we can know Jesus more and expose these spots. We are not already perfect. Spoiler alert. Just as Paul mentioned at the beginning of the passage, he's not perfect. And at this time, if Paul is able to admit that he's not perfect, we should be able to admit we are not either. We're not perfect in our battle with sin and also in the ways in which we pursue Christ. One area I struggle with personally and practically in my pursuit of Christ is prayer. Unlike any other belief system, We have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe in a very unique way. To talk with him, plead with him, be sad, maybe even angry sometimes with him, but always remembering that we're loved and we rest under his sovereign grace. I fail to approach God in prayer appropriately. I fail even to desire many times to pray. In Charles Spurgeon's book, lectures to my students, he quotes the wife of an old English pastor named Joseph Alain. I believe is how you say it, Alain. And she is describing her husband in his prayer life. She says this, He did rise constantly at or before four of the clock. That's early. Real early. And would be much troubled if he heard smiths or other, other craftsmen at their trades before he was at communion with God, saying to me often, How this noise shames me. Does not my master deserve more than theirs? 
From four till eight, he spent in prayer, holy contemplation, the singing of psalms, in which he much delighted and did daily practice alone as well as in the family. So while this man is an incredibly hard example to follow, I still think it's good to want to imitate that desire. I need to hear that. I need to hear of people that do that so I can imitate some form of desire to pray and maybe, maybe at least pray 15 minutes a day. Not so I can be more like Mr. Joseph Alain, but so I can grow in Christ. Matthew 18, Jesus says, in Matthew 18, Christ says, we must become like children in our humility. I don't approach my prayers with the humility of a child. I get into the trap of praying really only when I want something. Tim Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, said this, the only person, I like this, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have access to the living water, the well that never runs dry. And this access is 24-7, 365.5, including leap years. <laughs> I forget that often. So I need community, I need y'all to expose that practical blind spot in my life. So we always should be pushing each other to know more of Jesus. It's okay to want to imitate people if they keep the emphasis on Christ, not themselves. So imitate leaders and passed on saints. We have a wealth of resources at our disposal to learn from people who have gone before us. Take advantage of that. And when your brother or sister genuinely pushes you to know Christ, be thankful and humble. They're pushing you to know your Savior, so pursue Christ in community. Let that community push you to prayer, discipleship, and mission. We need to know when we're being apathetic to what Christ has done for us. So we also need community to be able to discern what's truth and what's not truth. After we're told to keep our eyes through those On those who walk according to the example of Paul, he carries on by explaining that some have moved off into false teaching. Verse 18 through 19, it says this, For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It's not a new phenomenon that people are into themselves. When Paul is talking about their God being their belly, he's simply talking about the fact that people worship themselves as God. Maybe not by the means of singing to themselves, I'm sure it's been done, but by means of waking up and centering all the thoughts of the day on them. Their belly is empty, fill it up. That's what he's talking about. This one is, this is a common issue, I think, today still, especially in our culture. We also see that these people have their minds ultimately set on earthly things. Those who we imitate in the communities around us should take the emphasis off of us and always back to the reason and hope we have in Christ. So we've seen that we're Saved to be able to pursue Christ. And we absolutely need community around us to do that. In the end of the passage we read, 
point three, that we need to pursue Christ in light of eternity. Verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we can pursue Christ in community so hard, discern through false teaching with such confidence and ease, and resist all the temptations of this earth because we know where our citizenship is. A while back we learned at the end of chapter 1 that Philippi is a Roman colony. So everyone who's living in the city is technically a Roman citizen. And it had a lot of perks back in the day. Paul is reminding the Christian Philippians that ultimately their citizenship is not of one, not of one in Rome. Not as one of Rome. Anyways, not one of Rome. But ultimately one in heaven. And what a far better place that is. How much better it is to be a citizen of heaven than a citizen of Philippi. How much better it is to be a citizen of heaven than one of the United States of America. How much better it is to be a citizen of heaven than just one of this world only. Imagine, if you will, how great it is to be the citizen in heaven. Here we have pain, suffering, death, Gross injustice everywhere, complete disregard for God's creation, not even just at the human level, but at the level of how, I would argue, we treat even animals and the earth. Heaven, no pain. No suffering, no death, no injustice. Creation that is not sick with sin and brokenness. And as we've heard before, someday in heaven, all the sad things will become untrue. Here we pursue Christ with difficulty, striving, toil. In heaven, just Jesus. What we have when we gather here on Sundays, or when we sit down together in community groups, is just a small, especially today, just a small taste of what we're going to have in heaven. In Revelation 19, we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb when believers are united with Christ. And we read how we'll rejoice in heaven. Verses 6 through 7 say this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For our Lord, our God, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In eternity, our pursuit of Christ is going to be just a little different. There will be no sinfulness to stop it. We will just bask in the glory of Christ forever, knowing more and more about him, constantly rejoicing and praising. Imagine sitting down at that table and raising a shout to Jesus, looking to your left and your right and seeing everybody there, your brothers and sisters in Christ praising him forever and never getting tired of it. 10,000 years later, still going strong. That's a long time. Thinking about where our citizenship lies if we know Jesus has a radical impact on how we pursue Christ today in these few fragile years that we get. We're free to pursue him without fear. 
without fear of what people think of us, without fear of losing this lowly body, which is something that will happen to everyone. What a testimony it is to the world when they see us have joy in the midst of trial and suffering. Sufferings of the physical body. We know we have something better to look forward to. So no matter what happens, no trials, tribulations, cancer, MS, no sickness at all, nobody who persecutes us, nobody who kills us for believing in Christ, none of these things can touch the citizenship we have in heaven. And Christ will be transformed to be like his glorious body. I don't think we can fully understand what that's going to be like, but it sounds pretty good. In light of eternity, we today can pursue Christ without the need to pursue worldly things and pleasures ultimately because we got a greater treasure. Apathy is a struggle we will battle with. We must always remember what Christ did for us and that and what he accomplished, he has made a way for us to pursue after him, to know him. Christians need to hear this and constantly be reminded in community to pursue and remember where we ultimately find our citizenship. If you're here today and you have not yet had Christ change you, then I hope you understand what he did for you. We are all separated initially from God and we try to fill that void with something. Christ lived the perfect death that we could not live, <laughs> lived the perfect life we could not live, died the death we deserve, live a death, come on. And he rose again so we can be seen right in the eyes of God. Because he saves us, we are saved to be able to pursue him. We don't do it to achieve the salvation. Remember that. He already did that work. We pursue him because he is addicting. We want more of him. So we pray to him. We dive constantly into scripture to know more about him. We gather together to learn about him. We dive into community so we can all grow in Christ. And we do so with such confidence in what he's done. And because we know ultimately earth is not our home. So now we have a time to respond to what Christ has done for us by participating in communion. If you're a Christian here today, then take this time to remember what he has done for you and be encouraged to pursue him and live constantly on mission for him. If you're not a Christian, then take this time to, to let Christ work in your heart and make him Lord, King, and Savior of your life because you need him he is far more fulfilling than anything else you have ever known or will ever know so here at Redeemer we take communion by breaking off a piece of the bread and dipping it into the cup the bread symbolizes Christ's body that's broken for us and the cup represents Christ's blood that was spilled for us there's juice and wine to take as your conscience leads the wine is on the cup marked with twine, I'll be in the back, and so are Matt, our elder candidate, if you need to pray with somebody. Uh, yeah, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning again, and just what a grace it is to gather together to learn more about you. 
I thank you that um, you're doing something amazing here in Bloomington. I pray that as we go into our spring break, you give us a good time just to, to relax. But I pray too that we constantly keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that our citizenship lies ultimately in heaven. And we're not just citizens of earth alone. I pray that you be with our um, the group that's in Brazil, that you keep them safe, but um, help them to trust in your sovereignty and, and do an amazing work there too as well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.